Hey everybody, Matty Jackson back here with the Academy North from Behind the Lockdown podcast, back with Stephen. How are you today, Steve? Good, mate. How are you? Yes, very well, thank you. Um, good news yesterday, we can get back out and do some coaching one-on-one. Certainly is, mate. About time, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. So we'll be out and about by the time you hear this podcast. <laughs> Check out the website, academynorth.co.uk, social media at Academy North one and Apple and Spotify. Our next guest, our first Kiwi representative, a man with 444 career wickets in all forms, 24 test wickets, 51 white ball international wickets in 26 ODIs, 19 T20 internationals. Thanks for joining us, Ian Butler. How are you today, mate? Morning, boys. Well, morning your time anyway. I hope it's not too cold here. <laughs> I, I haven't Sun's been out, out yet. Out. Yeah, I haven't been out yet, but it does look a bit fresh, actually. Thanks <laughs> for getting... coming on, mate. An absolute pleasure. Great to chat. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, mate. So anyway, I'll I'll let you two have a chat here because I believe you've played some cricket together. Yeah, but it's f- 15 years ago, mate. It's mad, isn't it? It is crazy. I was thinking about that today, about some of the uh, interesting participants in our team. It does, <laughs> I was going uh, to say, we had a few characters there, didn't we, pal? Oh. i tell you <laughs> what, my lasting memory, though, is not cricket. It's more the scary fact then oh, we God. used to run out the door of the bar and jump that gate. <laughs> <laughs> I was only 16 at the time, so I, I, get to, I only get to sort a bit of this. <laughs> I, I do not believe that, Steve. <laughs> That's right. I was too small as well. I couldn't get over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but we won the league, mate, didn't we? What a year it was. Yes. Yeah. We, um, I mean, we had a pretty good side, didn't we, so... But it was good fun. That's the most important part of it, league cricket. I don't think it's all about the results, to be honest. It's about how the club works as a whole and everyone working together. Yeah. But... He says a few characters, obviously, about like Brownie and Pazza and all that, wasn't it? Some characters in there. <coughs> no, nice definition. <laughs> yeah, leave, leave, it, leave it at characters. Because obviously we had, we had James Marshall, didn't we, but for the first half and then yeah. UK over the second half. So wasn't it about a couple of pros for us for the year, to be fair? <laughs> Oh, you're a bit unlucky for the second half of the season. <laughs> <laughs> so you're two these days, mate. You're in school, aren't you? Yeah, so I'm in Sydney now. I've been here six years. Um, I work at a private school. Um, I'm in our sports department. Um, and I love it here. Um, people sort of say that there's that banter between Australia and New Zealand, but they're pretty similar countries. Both are pretty outdoor people, love yeah. their sport. And I've really enjoyed it here. Got no complaints. Brilliant. How did you uh, how did you get into that then, mate? Yeah, so I finished up. I guess cricket for me the last few years was a pretty painful process. Like I, I'd had um, some bulging discs for quite a long time and back yeah. issues, and I'd sort of fought through it for my last two years. And it was getting to the point where the only reason I was really playing was to try and play the World Cup. Right. Um, and I sort of could see it at a distance, but every day was almost too hard to be honest. Like there were days where I'd hold back tears thinking about even bowling that first ball. So I guess, you know, I was living with Jimmy Neesham, who was probably, we were probably actually fighting for the same spot. Like there'd be an ODI tour to England announced and I'd take his spot and then there'd be another tour announced later in the year and he'd take my spot. You know, we're living together, best mates. But, you know, I was sort of thinking why I'm at the back end of my career with a pretty serious injury and he's, you know, the fittest bloke ever. Um, We're competing for the same spot. And I just got to that point where, I, you know, the day after bowling, when you walk to the shower or struggle to walk to the shower and hope that hot water will help you get out of bed just wasn't realistic. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've had, to be honest, go, going back a few years, I've had disc bulges myself and just trying to get out of bed, let alone trying to play international cricket was bad enough on some days. So I do <laughs> feel your pain slightly there. Yeah, you see, you see Jimmy Neesham on, on Twitter and stuff. He must have got you through some tough times. He's hilarious, isn't he? Mate, he is one of the, he is one of the funniest, smartest blokes out. I was actually quite lucky. So the house in Dunedin that I lived in, I had myself, obviously James Neesham, and another guy, Aaron Redmond. And yeah, we know Aaron played, Redmond. He plays cricket for Wigan. Yeah, like right. one of the best blokes you'll ever meet. And I guess it's probably why we had so much success as a three. Because, you know, cricket's a game where you fail a lot more than you succeed, but we had us three sort of getting each other through those days that weren't so great. So we sort of just lived for whoever had gone well that day. You know, we yeah, rather than individually, we just sort of thought, okay, the household out of three of us, someone's going to have a decent day most days. And we'd sort of just live for that. Brilliant. Yeah, I, uh, I played against Aaron Redmond a lot of times because he's, he's stayed over here now and play, plays and captains at Wigan. Um, yeah. Actually, I think last year, I think we got a plan perfect to him. Club cricket game, we got everything right, and he got 120. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, oh, it was one of them days. He's a phenomenal batsman, but I tell you what, he's got the best leg spin release I've ever seen, but because of his hips, he doesn't really bowl. Yeah, he, he, in league cricket over here now, he seems to come on just right at the end when they need something to make something happen. He comes on and... Usually seems to get about four for twenty very quickly. <laughs> so, yeah, great to play against. <laughs> so, kind of moving moving on to your career, mate, and the the early days. You spent obviously we talked about your time at Northern, but did you spend some time over in England from a very young age playing club cricket? Yeah, so I started playing in the Lake District for a team called Penrith. Yeah, uh, I was only eighteen, and I actually feel sorry for that club having to take me at that age, but I was very very uh, naive, uh, but I loved it. You know, it made you grow up so quickly. And I guess I've, over my career, I probably played uh, ten off seasons in the UK, whether it be county or club. Wow. And I absolutely loved it. Like I know it's not a, um, I guess it's not a career preparation in New Zealand. It's a necessity because you, if you're not New Zealand contracted, you only get a six month contract with your domestic team, or you right, did when okay. I was playing. Yeah. So you had to go to the UK just to earn some money and sort of keep fit. <laughs> Um, but I absolutely loved it. Like, I love that sort of passion that the clubs over in the UK have. And, you know, every player, and I guess in that club, look up to you because you're there to help them learn and get better. And yeah. I enjoyed my time in England so much. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so, talking about your time in England, you've done, obviously, Gloucestershire, Kent, Northants. You talked about kind of going into that club, club environment. What's it like coming over and playing county cricket? and trying to slot straight in there. Is there many many differences to, to back home or can you slot straight in? I guess it's easier when you have a decent stint. So some of my early stints, I got, you know, six to eight weeks with a club because you're replacing an overseas player. So I guess it can try to place Mohamed Sami, so I got a decent set of time there. <coughs> Sorry. Really enjoyed that, but I was quite young again. Um, Gloucestershire, I went to quite a few, I think I went at least twice uh, under John Braceful and really enjoyed it there. I guess probably the hardest one for me was not because it's hard when you're an overseas player. Like you should look around the change room and know you're probably the best or one of the best players in that change room. But yeah, you know, Tots rang after the T20 World Cup and said, "Hey, we'd love to have you come and join us." And I was sort of looking at that squad, going, "What?" <laughs> um, and then you walk into the changing room and yeah, you, you sort of go, "Whoa, what's going on here?" Like they, to be honest, at that time they were probably the Manchester United of England. Like you, I don't know how they considered all the players in their salary cap. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it and you know at the end of the day it's not always about 
whether you're the best player, it's about you might have that little bit more experience and just knowing how to win situations in a game. Yeah. yeah. And I remember at yeah, North Hamps, I actually said that to a couple of blokes. I was like, guys, I'm actually probably the worst player and worst bowler in our team here. You guys all have way more talent than me, but you just have to actually learn how in tough situations in a game, like how do you make it happen, even if it's not feeling like it's your day. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess when you get older, you sort of learn how to become a pro rather than just, you know, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So ODI debut 2002, mate, against England. Great moment for you. Uh, pretty sure I went about 10 and over. <laughs> you got Tress Gothic in the first over though, didn't you? Yeah, poor bloke. Normally I swung it away from him and then somehow that ball swung back in and he left it. That's <laughs> pretty unlucky. Um, I think probably the back story to that is probably the most interesting part, I guess. So I had had a call from Sir Richard Hadley, I guess, maybe three days before I got picked for New Zealand, asking if I wanted to come and join the New Zealand Academy in Christchurch. Yeah. And I'd said, no, thanks. I don't feel like I'm ready for that. Um, I need a bit more time. I only played two first-class games at that stage for Northern Districts. And I was very young and naive. And um, and then, you know, two days later, after we'd played England twice, like we played England twice in a warm game for their tour. Yeah. And I bowled reasonably sharp against them. And Michael Bourne had come out in the media saying, like, this bloke's the quickest we've played in two years. And, you know, as a guy who's only played two games for your province, that, that's cool to hear. And, yeah. you know, I was... I got Darren Goff to sign me his shirt after we played them and like I was just in heaven playing against these guys. And then Shane Bond went down and I had a voicemail on my phone and it was Sir Richard Hadley saying that I've been picked for New Zealand. And I'm like, what? I just let it fathom it. Um, so like, I, I was nowhere near ready to play. I'd played two games for my domestic side. I probably wasn't even a guaranteed starter in my domestic side. The only reason I played was because I bowled genuinely quick. Um, just a young talent. So... It was pretty hard, I guess, going into an environment where you're playing with your heroes that I used to sit down and watch every single game. Yeah. Now the guys in the Black Caps were my heroes, and then all of a sudden I was supposed to be one of them. Um, so, yeah, it was a tough introduction, but, you know, mate, you're never going to turn down playing for your country. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. Um, yes, we came thick and fast, mate, didn't it? So your test debut was the following month, wasn't it? Yeah, I was probably, like, a bit more ready for that because I sort of knew the guys... Yeah. Didn't bowl yeah. particularly well early in my career, but, you know, at least I sort of knew what was coming. Um, my test debut was at Jade Stadium in Christchurch, and it was the greenest wicket you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and I just remember running in thinking, I actually don't know if this ball's going to land. Like, I was just so nervous. <laughs> and that's not an ideal situation when realistically all you should be land- doing is land the ball to nick them out. Uh, <laughs> But it ended up being one of the best cricket wickets ever. Like Nathan Astle scored that incredible double hundred. I think Thorpe got a double hundred. Flintoff got a hundred. Yeah, I've got got that written down here. 2002, and I remember watching that game. I remember watching Astle just smash it everywhere. And it was an incredible game of cricket, wasn't it? Mate, I was batting at the other end, and I couldn't back up because he was hitting it so hard. I thought he was going to hit me. Was uh, was one of the highlights here six for versus Pakistan, wasn't it, two thousand four? Yeah, I guess statistically it's a highlight. Um, probably the most disappointing part of that is that we actually lost the test for some unbelievable in some unbelievable way. Like I think we led by one hundred and ninety runs on the first innings, and somehow we managed to lose. I'm sure I've to bowled one hundred and ninety k in the second innings, and <laughs> I, I copped. I was on the end of that. Um, 
But yeah, I, I guess you always look back with pride in getting a test six for. Um, yeah, so but obviously you had a bit of time away then did you mate and you came back to play in Tars and then onto the uh, was it back to back T twenty World Cups, wasn't it? What was that like after the time away and did that make you sort of appreciate it a bit more having the time apart? Oh hugely, yeah. So I guess probably for the first part of my career, yeah, I bowled quick, but I didn't work as hard as I did in the second half of my career. So once I was told I would never I was never gonna bowl again, um, I sort of went away and thought, Well, I still love cricket, like I still want to play as a batsman and worked really hard just for my local club, Pukekohe, and my local sort of rep side, Counties Manukau. Played a couple of years there as captain, scored a lot of runs. Um, and then Otago sort of approached me when I was proing in England and said, look, we think you can still play. Would you, would you take a low contract? And I said, yeah, of course I would. Um, I guess the hardest thing for that is when you've lived up north, you sort of have this preconceived idea that Dunedin's the horrible place and it's going to be the coldest place ever, and why would you do that? But it was the best seven years I ever had. I, I lived in Dunedin, and to be honest, it's probably the best place I've ever lived. Um, the cricket environment was amazing. They accepted me. Like I, was, I turned up 104 kilos with pink hair. You know, was, <laughs> I don't quite understand how I was so uh, eagerly accepted. But I guess when I got there, I sort of realised that I could still do it. That first year, we won the domestic T20 comp, and I was lucky enough, you know, on the back of my team's performances, I guess, to get picked for New Zealand the ODIs and T20s and did okay. And then I sort of realised, hey, you know, you've got another shot at this. And then I sort of worked really hard on my fitness, trimmed down. And probably for the last, my last four years of my career, I did work really, really hard. Like I wouldn't take any shortcuts. And I guess when I work with young players now at the clubs I work for here, and that's my biggest message is, guys, you can't ever take it for granted because you can lose it any time like I did. And I, well, I wasn't sure to be given it back. I just got lucky I got it back again, but... Yeah, I wish I'd had that work ethic for the start of my career that I had for the last five, six years. Brilliant. Great insight there. Superb. Um, so let's go then. The best 11s. What I loved about this, when I obviously spoke to Steve this week, we're really, really vague. We just say, send over your best 11. Um, so I love that you've gone with your own criteria here. So we've got we've got a four-day side and a T20 side. If you've been picked in the four-day side, you are not eligible for selection in the T20 side. Which is, Tough selectors here. Yeah, yeah I, just, I just thought that was the best way because, you know, a lot of the players are so good that they would make both teams. And I thought this was a way, for, I think for me, yeah. four-day cricket is the, the ultimate test. You know, if we're not talking international cricket, a four-day game is the ultimate test of you as a player. So I wanted to pick my best possible side of that. And then, because, you know, there's a couple of names there that obviously would make both sides. I thought it allowed for more players. So. Yeah, no, we love it. I'm completely on board with that. So we're going to start with the four-day side. And at the top, a man who could bat for all four days, and that's Mark Richardson. <laughs> yep, that was a pretty easy pick as opener. Uh, I guess, you know, someone who t- who's turned themselves from a number, I guess, 9, 10, 11 left-arm spinner in domestic cricket to an international test batsman. And in my mind, he's probably the best test opener New Zealand ever had, like, he was actually averaging 50 for probably around about 34 of his tests. And then I guess he had a little lean trot at the end against Australia and it dropped to 44. But, man, I tell you, as a bowler who potentially had the job of night watchman, if there was an opening batter that you wanted to face Brent Lee bowling 160 and not get out, he was the guy I'd pick every time. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, but obviously, he's obviously a good player. I, read, I just read somewhere before. He was known for being really slow, wasn't he? And I saw after each tour, he used to challenge the slowest runner from every opposition and see how he got on. 
I think in some of the test series we played, that was the highlight of each series. He didn't win many, did he? No, no, definitely not. We played England, and it was all the boys from both sides talked about from the first test. And we ended up with him against Ashley Giles, and it was a cakewalk. Um, and then I remember we played Australia, and it was him against Darren Lehman. I tell you, that was close. <laughs> I read somewhere he only beat Danish Canary, I think, he fought over the years. Oh, Dennis Canaria ran backwards. <laughs> you, you mentioned it there, mate. Um, obviously, he was he was a bowler. Got the yips, so he, he only actually played a few years. Few years in in Test cricket. How? I guess what does that say about his mental strength to to obviously be a nine, ten, eleven bowler and, and end up as you say averaging forty five in Test cricket. Yeah, hundred percent. So I guess probably because I lived in. Um, near Auckland, he lived in Auckland and my province was Northern District who are in Hamilton. I ended up training a lot more between test series with the Auckland guys and so that meant I had to bowl a lot to Mark Richardson and what people didn't really know about Mark Richardson was he hated playing or practicing against the short ball. So he literally, in a game he was fine, like he just duck it all day long and he had that adrenaline flying but he hated it in nets and um, I used to train with him in the Eden Park indoor nets and like they were the quickest things you've ever seen. Like <laughs> you could all sped up off the surface. Um, and I remember we had a rule, like he'd say to me, you're only allowed to bowl one bouncer to me in the whole session. And, you know, and to be honest, like I didn't really like bowling bouncers indoors anyway because you don't even move, I guess, because it's so quick in there. But, you know, he was the, in, in a game, just phenomenal mental strength. Yeah. Just could keep going through. I remember the 100 he got in India when he kept getting the cramp. Like just phenomenal. Really great, great pick. Yeah, his partner wasn't bad either. You got Andrew Styles at the top as well, mate. Yep. Um, I guess I probably played with quite a lot of good openers, but and his test stats probably don't show how good he was. Like I think he only averaged just over forty. But yeah, he was phenomenal player. Like if you had Mark Richardson and Andrew Strauss walking out to bat, you'd be I'd be pretty set to be honest. And he was an amazing slip fielder. Yeah, you got you got a few of them in this team. You said there about his stats might not kind of represent how good he was. I think it took a dip when he took over the captaincy a little bit, didn't it? Um, yeah. Does that I guess is, does that kind of show how difficult that can be in that environment and having to look after everybody? Oh, particularly in an England environment when you had KP and. All those <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess, like, if you look at. Eventually, when you look at the M side, I've picked, there's a lot of captains in that team. And yeah, we saw that. <laughs> for, some them, for some of them, their stats increase hugely as captain and others, I guess, like Andrew, going through the whole England politics kind of it, they may have dropped off. He certainly won't have to captain my side, so I'm guessing he's going to average 70. Brilliant. <laughs> Superb. Yeah, we did actually say about the number of captains in this team. We've got, obviously, Strauss there, and then the next one, two, three, four. The next five are all captains as well. Um, yep. So we'll go number three, and that's Stephen Fleming. Yep. Well, I mean, he's absolutely the poster boy for being much, much better than stats show. Like, to only average 40 in test cricket is oh, astonishingly low. I mean, he only scored 900s out of maybe 46 or 47 50s. I mean, he should have easily averaged 50. Like, there was no better batsman to watch than him when he was going. But I guess for me, like, I played, well, I was actually 12th man for this game, but he got 274 not out at Colombo. And <coughs> no one in our side could pick morally at all throughout the series. And to bat so long in such heat with such a quality game plan, was it was just one of the best innings I've ever seen. 
And even more so, like he declared when he could have broken Martin Crowe's record of 299 at the time, that was the record. Um, and he declared when he had a chance of breaking up purely because he wanted to get a wicket that night. So that sort of showed to me like how much he was thinking of the team. Yeah, superb. And obviously, I think, as we mentioned, then leadership might be a common theme in this top order. But he's one of the only guys, really, who's gone to the IPL as a coach or mentor and stayed there, hasn't he? He's done nearly every one at the Chennai Super Kings. Is that, again, is that just a marker of what kind of guy he is? Well, I guess he probably set the scene for great New Zealand captains. Like he had probably didn't have the best cattle at his disposal during that time, but he found a way to make New Zealand very, very competitive, whether that was through scouting, through game plans. Um, he had a bit of an edge to him. Like right. He certainly wasn't the... I'm not saying he's not nice, but he, he definitely had an edge, and that's what you want. Like He just found a way to get his team to perform. Yeah, brilliant. So you've gone from sort of a past great captain to the, uh, the current great one, Kane Williamson? Yeah, I mean... It doesn't matter what format a game I pick, he'd be in every single one of them. <laughs> um, I don't even think I need to explain it. Like, there's no one in the world who loves batting more than him. Um, probably plays the ball later than any player I've ever seen. And really, like, he's, I don't know how old he is. He might be 30, I guess. Like, he could play another 10 years if he wanted. And imagine his stats at the end of that. Yeah, incredible. Do you think, do you think he'll finish the best ever? Um, oh, for New Zealand, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Martin Crowe was phenomenal, but I guess I didn't play with him and I guess I only really watched highlights of him. Yeah. Um, and again, he played in a different era where, you know, you probably do average a little bit less. Now, nowadays, the wickets are pretty flat, but I, I don't think it would be hard to argue at the end of his career that he would be the best because he, he'd probably end up with, he'll probably have a mid-30 test hundreds, which is a lot yeah. more than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, you say they'd be in any team. Test average 51, ODI average just under 48, but... Just obviously this summer just gone in England. Um, I mean, obviously he was he was man of the tournament at the World Cup. Um, but he showed a lot of class off the pitch as well, didn't he? Um, the way the way he handled himself, he got a lot of plaudits for that. Kind of calm character away from it all, is he? Yeah, and if if anyone you know met Kane Williamson without knowing who he was, you could sit with him at a bar, have a pizza and a beer, and you would never ever know what he does. Like really? he's just the most humble, normal. Yeah. He's just a normal guy. Certainly, certainly gives that impression, and, and that's what's getting at. And number five, mate, another another current great, and that's Ross Taylor. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good middle order. I think he's going to be bowling for it. I think the thing for me about Ross Taylor is, I think he had eye surgery maybe two years ago or three years ago. I don't really keep up to track with it as much these days, but I think he's averaged seventy five plus in Test cricket and ODI cricket since then. Um, and you think even before that, he was definitely in the hunt for being the New Zealand's best batsman ever. Um, and, he, and he's capable of any type of inning. So there's obviously times where he's come in and he's going to be in deep strife and he's got us out of trouble. But, you know, there's not many guys out there that time the ball as well as him when he's when he's in an aggressive mood. Yeah, I think you touched on it there, mate. His average recent years is incredible. His average over his, over his career is incredible. If anything, is he a little bit underrated? Oh, hugely. But yeah. I guess that's an easy thing to do when you're, um, I guess, a New Zealand middle order player and in the, at the time of the, you know, set and the number of quality batters in that era, it was pretty easy to sort of fly under the radar with those blokes always being talked about. Yeah. 
So at number six, mate, another fella probably put his hand on to be captain for you. Brandon McCullum. Yeah, I guess you couldn't leave Brendan out of any side either, and he would have been a shoo-in for my T20 side. But um, I'd probably put him in the same category of Flem. Like, he's a much better player than the stats show, and stats do not show everything. He, he yeah. played the game in a different way to others. Like, he didn't really care about himself as much so much. Um, he got a test triple 100. There's nothing he can't do, actually. He was probably one of the best keepers I ever played with, but then his back injuries... Sort of, he didn't really enjoy keeping as much because it obviously left him in pain with his back and then he couldn't bat as well. And then he was actually one of the best fielders in the world. Um, but he's just such a charismatic guy. Like, I guess when he's your, when he was your captain, you, you just, you went out, you went out there and did whatever he asked. How much, how much did he change the New Zealand cricket makes? Obviously, he just took that approach of just going sort of like England on our avenue, going sort of health leather and playing more aggressively, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, that's the only way that would fit with his nature. Like, he couldn't get it. With his sort of his personality, there's no other way you could play. And that shows out in his cricket. That's the way he's always played, and he's lived and died by the sword. Um, but he did a great job. Him and Mike Hessen sort of came in at the same time um, He was in his early days as captain. And it was a tough little period because there was that nasty little spat in the public. I think it's more of a, sp- a public spat than an actual reality spat when the media tried to portray that it was, you know, Brendan against Ross for captain and they hated each other which definitely wasn't the case Brilliant. yeah um, and then it, yeah they had to rebuild and decide the sort of brand of cricket that they wanted to play and be proud of and I think they went from probably realistically they would have called themselves the fifth or sixth best side in the world at that time and for a good three or four years they were definitely in the top three of every format yeah, definitely. Steve, Steve touched on something there about the way he played and kind of alluded to his batting and going hell for leather. But when he was captain, he did it the other way, didn't he? Like, in an era where sort of ODI scores were going 300 minimum, he really attacked as a captain as well, didn't he? He was always trying to bowl teams out. I thought that was fascinating at the time. Massively. And to be honest, he was actually one of the best things for me ever as a player. So he captained me a lot at Otago. Yeah, and you know all other teams have these different ploys about what they're going to do in the first six in a T20 and Brennan was so simple like he would just say to me and whoever else was opening the bowl he'd just say if you guys get me three wickets in the first six overs we win the game Love and that. it's as simple as that you, 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 you know you rip the heart out of the other team in the first six overs um, and the other team are going to struggle statistically you win games if, you, if that happens so and I guess like it's so easy when you come up against such good players these days on such good wickets Sometimes it's actually, you can bowl your best possible ball and they'll still whack it for six. So it's actually nicer to go in there with a mindset of, oh, I'm just going to try and get this guy out. Yeah. Um, rather than, you know, you bowl your best back of a length ball and he bangs it over mid-wicket for six and you're like, where do I go from here? <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And last of the captaincy trail, <laughs> number seven, we've got Daniel Vittori. Wow, what a guy coming. I think... Many people would realise how good a batsman he was. I've got that written down in front of me here, actually, yeah. Six test match hundreds. Phenomenal. There was a period there, probably actually coincided with me sort of playing in and around that team. For four years, he averaged over 50 and scored six test hundreds in that period. And, like, as the whole team, we would actually acknowledge him as probably our best batter during that time as well. Um, And to be honest, I loved his leadership. Uh, He wasn't a huge talker, but... You know, he just led by example. He went out and did the business every single day at training, in the game. You know, if you get four and a half test, four and a half thousand test runs and 300 odd, 350 odd test wickets, you're one of the best players ever. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I had that written down about his bat and finished with a test match average of 30. Um, but we, we feel, feel like we've banged on about it a bit here. But you've got Fleming, Strauss, Williamson, McCollum, Vittori. Who is the captain then? 
Gotta pick one, Bots. Come on. Um, because I've got such a good bowling attack, I'm probably going to go with Brendan. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Attacking, like he'll probably just keep those guys pumped up, set pretty attacking fields. He'll trust them for whatever they want to do. He'll let them set their fields. Yeah, I'll go with Brendan on that one. Look at that choice. So in, in see Seamus now, you got Andre Adams? Uh, yeah, first picked. Like at first class cricket, I guess he didn't get a lot of opportunity in test cricket. Um, just played at a time when there was quite a bit of competition, I guess. Um, but yeah, man, there's no better first class bowler, I don't think, out there. Like in county cricket, he was the most wanted guy. Um, you know, he, I think he got almost 700 wickets at first class cricket. And he's one of those guys that in all conditions, he just made the ball talk, consistent, aggressive, great bowler. Yeah, obviously, when you when you sent your team to me, but obviously you said you might be a bit surprised by him. And I think, like I mentioned, we've had quite a few of the knots lads on. And me and Matty were a little bit surprised. We knew he was good, but we didn't realise sort of how good he was because every single one of them picked him. Yeah, and they all said team. he was the best bowler to left-handers they've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I've got no arguments there. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> popped up a lot. Um, Next man, again, not shocked, obviously, massive name, but just quite how good his international bowling average was, and that's Shane Bond. Yeah. Um, just one of those guys that if he had played more cricket, he'd go down as an all-time great. And to me, he's still one of New Zealand's best bowlers ever. Like, you think of his ODI records, actually, as phenomenal as his test record. Um, you know, he's a genuine, genuine strike force. Like, he's, he was genuinely quick. Um, and when he was fit, like he'd be worth millions these days. Yeah, uh, but also very, very skillful as well. Just on sort of thing, well, obviously there's a few little similarities to you, I suppose, mate. In a you know, suffered bad back and obviously bowled quick. Do you think could he have sort of slowed down to make it a bit easier on his body, or was that just what he was like, just sort of all in? Oh, he could have done that, but that's not Shane. Like Shane was do everything to be the best, and you know he put himself through absolute agony and. You know, if you'd seen, I'm sure you have, see what see what these guys are like at the end of a day when they've bowled, you know, 25 overs at, at their full tilt. Yeah. Like they're broken humans. Yeah, you, you kind of said that that's not what he's like. I don't know if you've, either of you have seen the Mumbai Indians documentary on, on Netflix. Um, he comes across on that, obviously the bowling coach, like you would not want to get on the wrong side of him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's the most laid back. Really? <laughs> so I, I don't know if you've noticed it. I haven't watched the documentary, but the most incredible thing about Shane, so if you talk to him in a normal environment, his eyes are completely normal. But you get him <laughs> talking or in a game or maybe, I don't know what he does in that documentary, when he's talking about something he's passionate about, like cricket, because he's obviously a gun coach, he's got the most freakish eyes. Like he's just, he just turns this intense switch on. I'm going to have to go back and watch that again now. <laughs> <laughs> Good, very good documentary, though, really good. Matt, I can just see you staring at Shane Bond's eyes now on Netflix. Like. <laughs> There's my Saturday afternoon, anyway, boys. <laughs> um, so, yeah, number 10, mate. Another lad that had a little go in the Liverpool comp as well, Neil Wagner. Was he at Ormskirk? Yeah. Yeah, he no. played at Ormskirk, mate, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. I, so, uh, Neil and I debuted together for Otago in 2007, maybe. Um, and it's honestly... I'm just so proud of him. Like, from where he's come from, he's just the biggest-hearted character I've ever played with. Like, he will never, ever, ever give in in any situation. And to see him become one of the best bowlers in the world, 
through finding a way that is quite different. Like he doesn't, he's not going out there doing it a Mitchell Stark way or, you know, his record's phenomenal. 200 wickets in 40 something tests. Like it's quicker than any other left arm seamer ever. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. 200 <laughs> bowls. Like I've, I've lost track of the number of times I've seen him bowl a 10 over spell. <laughs> I, love the, I love the way you obviously see people change and, you know, differ over the years and stuff. But even when he played in the comp, all he did was just ball bounces and Yorkers. <laughs> Nothing changed there. Is that, yeah, there's a few there's a few pros in league cricket that have done that. <laughs> that that spell, I think was it earlier this year or back in the last year at Matthew Wade as well that just kind of went viral where Yeah, that was I mean, boss, I mean to be fair to Wade, Wade was just letting the ball bounce off him. Um <sighs> that was just I, horrendous. That, I just couldn't fathom that. Like it hurts so much getting hit in the ribs and then he was doing it <laughs> every ball. <laughs> He's enjoying it for some reason. Oh, Ugh. I mean, I tell you what. Yeah, but anyway, it's not normal, though. Remember? Yeah, was, <laughs> I was going to say it shows. Obviously, Wagner was was very hostile, but to be fair, it shows how strong Wade is just to let that happen. But <laughs> brilliant to watch uh, at number eleven in this side. Um, a man who I just could not believe is still only thirty, and that's Trent Bolt. Yeah, <laughs> like he was an automatic pick in this team. Like you think him and Sir Richard Hadley are without a shadow of a doubt the two best best bowler in New Zealand history and Trent can play as long as he wants he's the fittest guy out there him and Neil Wagner I guess would be the fittest cricketers in the world probably like you should see the stats those guys put up in um, the testing it's crazy but you guess you know you're a quality left arm swing bowler with a big engine he's going to go a long way yeah definitely and obviously maybe not the best for him but he bowled a superb super over didn't he <laughs> at Lords last year and just didn't quite get over the line there but well, just, I, tell you, I think what people don't realise about that super over that pick up of that throw that came back in on the bounce like there's not many people that, that, really that was that ridiculous up. that was ridiculous wasn't it <laughs> he's a phenomenal field like if you YouTube some of the catches he's taken in test cricket it's astonishing yeah good, the, great. The, part, the, part, the partnership with him and Southie as well is that the, the best attack New Zealand oh as a duo for sure absolutely like I guess Saudi's probably the guy that's unlucky to miss out on this side yeah um, I, I guess uh, it's only being it's not harsh at all but you know I picked Shane Bond and Trent as my new ball bowlers and then with the old ball you know Andre and Neil Wagner it's tough to get past those two so yeah you can't, can't really complain <laughs> so great side Captain McCullum. let's go into the T20 side obviously remembering that we got 11 11 fresh names but Again, don't think we can argue with too many of the selections here. And at the top, mate, we've got Martin Guptill. Yeah, that was pretty simple. I think, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. easy one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his white ball stats are up there with the best in the world. Um, and to be honest, he's actually one of the hardest players I've ever bowled to. Yeah, he hits the ball straight so hard. But also, if you drop short, he's equally as ferocious. So it's, you're sort of literally, you're not really sure where to bowl to him some days. Um, I mean, probably his biggest weakness is playing spin, but he's got a lot better at it because most teams now, I guess, bowl spin to him straight to straight away, and he's had to work at it. Um, but he's probably uh, there's a lot of good fielders in my side, but he's probably the best fielder I ever played with as well. Brilliant, which obviously adds to it for the T Twenty. So a little start until roughly this time last year. Actually, he was the highest scorer in T Twenty internationals ever. Obviously, he's now been overtaken by Rohit Sharma. Um, but not a bad name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Just on the flip side, obviously, he's played a little bit of test cricket, um, but only averages 29. Has he kind of focused on his white ball career, or is it more just around the way he plays naturally, do you reckon? I can't work it out. So, I mean, he's obviously 
realise now that white ball cricket is a strength and he's focused on it more. Like, there was a period there where I think he's actually played quite a few tests, um, but there was a period there where he really, really did want to become a genuine test player. And oh, I can't see any reason why he hasn't been able to. Yeah. I guess in white ball cricket, because the ball doesn't swing as much, you can plant your foot straight down the wicket and hit hard straight, whereas in test cricket there's probably a bit more movement and there's a lot of catches there waiting for the ball. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's sad that he hasn't made it in test cricket, but on the flip side, for longevity of your white ball career, that's actually probably helped him. Yeah, definitely. The final was good, wasn't it? Out of, completely out of neck, first ball of the World Cup final, has a pummelet of Archer out of the ground. I forgot about that, yeah. I was funny, wasn't it? Um... Yeah, so you got Colin Munro at the top, mate, with him. Yeah, I guess him and Guppy have batted together for a long time in T20 cricket, and they're so they're so different to bowl to. They hit such different areas that, as a bowler, I wouldn't really want to bowl to the two of them. Um, and Munro hits it just as far, but probably in weirder spots. Like he's pretty hard to set a field to. And realistically, if he bats three overs, like at the strike rate he scores at, your team's flying. Yeah, strike rate just shy of 160 in T20 internationals. So he's the first play, first player to three 2020 international tons. Some yeah, going that. Yeah, proper player. Yeah, can't argue with that, and can't argue with number three either. And that's Alex Hales. Yeah, like <laughs> I was much happier playing with him at knots than I was playing against him. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> I guess people don't realise how tall he is. He's actually a huge bloke. And he's got such long levers, and on a flat wicket, I'd actually put him probably above Guppy in that unbowlable category. Like, you just couldn't bowl anywhere to him. Um, just hits the ball so hard, so far. I thought, you know, there'd be days where I might do him with a slower ball or, you know, cramp him up on a tip, and just both of them would go out of the ground. I was like, ugh. Just, just on that, how difficult is that as a bowler sort of playing against someone like Hales? Do you ever stand at the bottom of your mark and just think, I haven't got a clue what to do here. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, so, I guess the hardest thing for me, when I got picked for to play against those guys, I hated opening the bowling. Like, I just did not like bowling with the white new ball. Yeah. And for my domestic team, I never did it. Um, we had a quality couple of blokes who did really good job with the new ball. And then I came in and always, well, I was much more comfortable bowling that sort of four, five, six over when the ball wasn't new because I felt I could control it a lot better. And then all of a sudden, every game I got picked for New Zealand, it was like, hey, Butts, you're going to bowl first over. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> and I guess if you're someone like Hales, like I was only bowling mid-130s and I didn't really, wasn't really that sure about which way the ball was going to swing. And yeah, I was probably cannon fodder for him, to be honest, at that. You know, he's been facing guys at 150 with a new ball. So yeah, it certainly wasn't an ideal situation for me. Well, he had probably one weakness and that was if in the first over, if you could get the ball to jag back and just to hit the top of off, he didn't really move his feet a lot. But if you missed it by an inch, it was probably going back over your head. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. By margins, eh? Um, yeah, number four, mate. Probably a bit underrated, I think. Tender Scarter. Yeah, probably the most underrated cricketer in the world. Um, he's definitely the he'll be up there with the best player I ever played with. The most wow. competitive guy I've ever seen in the world. And actually, he's not a big bloke, but he's a huge hitter for his size. Like, he was so strong, fast hands. And if I had to pick a guy in a T20 game and the game's on the line, you want him out there because he just knew how to finish a game. Yeah. yeah. And actually, amazing bowler as well. Like, you look at his bowling stats, they are incredible. 
Like his records, that's without his name, you'd go that guy as a, as a genuine bowler. Yeah, yeah his records, all formats are unbelievable. It just surprises you when you look at it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you both mentioned that because as you were talking, then I've actually got the laptop open and I've googled his stats. In batting stats in ODIs, average 67, T20 internationals 44, first class 45, and then bowling averages 24 in ODIs, 18 in T20 internationals, and 33 in first class. His stats are ridiculous. Ridiculous. As good as anyone, that. And Captain Desix over here to two county championships as well. Well, that just shows, like, yeah, he's he know he's got a great cricket brain. Yeah, inc- incredible that. And number five, mate. Um, yeah, let's let's go with Jesse Ryder. <laughs> um, I think you and I all know the Jesse Ryder in the the Northern League circuit. <laughs> uh, but to be honest, he was the most talented cricket player I ever saw by so far. Like, he just got bored, and no one ever managed to find what motivated him. So, if someone had found a driver for him, he probably would have been one of the world's best cricketers. Yeah. Um, he actually, he, I think sometimes, I actually, I'm watching the last dance at the moment with Michael oh, Jordan. Incredible. And you know how Michael Jordan just made up things to make him competitive? Like he made up that that guy said, nice game. Yeah, 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 brilliant. Nah, brilliant. Yes, <laughs> he did the same thing. Like he hated James Anderson and James Anderson abused him one day in warm-ups and he just stormed <laughs> into the change room with losing his shit. And was just going, I'm going to hit every ball he bowls to me for six. And he did. Like, he just put him apart. But 88 off maybe 40 balls. Um, yeah, but... And he was actually a very, very good bowler. He was actually a lot quicker than he looked. And he hit his Yorker very consistently. And probably majority of people didn't realise that there was no... I don't think I saw many better fielders in close. Like, he was a big bloke, but yeah. so agile and had such good hands. I think uh, of all the of all the like pros and players I've played against in the comp of all these years, I don't think I've ever played against anyone that's hit the ball as hard as him. Yeah, unbelievable. It's funny he got a, he got a bad decision at Northern as well, and he walked off and punched the window through as well. <laughs> so I think he was quite fiery then as well. Hang on, what an absolute shock that the umpires were on side at Northern. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. He punched the window. It's his fault. <laughs> Anyway. Um, so, number six, you got Chris Harris, mate? Yeah, I, I guess not many people these days probably, uh, if you're quite young, you probably wouldn't remember him. I sort of played with him at the start of my career, and, mate, to play 250 ODIs, he was actually a phenomenal finisher. Um, he just knew how to win a game at the end. And I, to be honest, I don't think anyone these days would know how to play as bowling. So he bowled little, like, slow, medium-paced yeah. leg cutters off the wrong foot, and it was so weird. <laughs> Yeah. But then he found this way to go round the wicket and he'd bowl these massive inductors to a right-hander from round the wicket and no one could work out how to play it. And I just think, <laughs> if you do that now, like he'd be the only person in the world doing it and phenomenal fielder. So I think T20 would have been a good game for him. Um, yeah, and one of the one of the craziest blokes you've ever met as well. Like you need him in the change room, that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Was he like, obviously, <laughs> the first thing, if you Google him to do a little bit of work, he uh, just says everywhere, cult hero. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> oh man, everyone loved him. <laughs> that couldn't look any less like a cricketer either, could he? <laughs> <laughs> He's got some fat pictures on there, has he? Cricket yeah, just, just looks like a nineties teacher. <laughs> but, um... He's got hair. He's got hair like mine now in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> but moving on, another man who, who 
he only played 14 T20s, two internationals, because obviously the era he played in, but no arguments yeah. about him in this team, and that's Chris Cairns. Oh, man. Like, if he was playing now and he was fully fit, I'd say he'd be the most valuable T20 player in the world. He'd be the Ben wow. Stokes, as, you know, be the similar player. Yeah. Um, he played 200 and something ODIs as a genuine prop all rounder, bowled fast when he wanted to, and had a really good slower ball. There's actually a really good clip. I don't know where I saw it. It was on YouTube, I think, where he nicked off both the War Brothers in a couple of balls in an ODI, and he just bowled proper, proper pace on his day. And then, you know, look, everyone knows how far he hit the ball as well. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously massively long career for New Zealand and came out at the end averaging pretty much 30 with bat and ball in tests and ODIs playing hundreds of games. So, yeah, just genuine all-rounder, really. Wasn't it? Was it Chris Reed he got with that slow ball? The classic. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, that was him. I forgot that. Yeah. He talked it, didn't he? And he uh, went under by his toes, didn't it? Oh, classic. I need to watch that again. <laughs> um, yeah, so you got uh, Nathan McCollum at eight, mate. Yep, I guess you know Dan Vittori was the was the best T Twenty spinner ever. Probably, I think his economy rate was under six, but Nathan was pretty close. Like he played a lot of games for New Zealand. 50 or 60 uh, T20 ODIs, uh, T20 internationals. And a lot of his uh, games, he would have opened the bowling as well. He just knew his game and he found a way how to become, you know, one of the top T20 spinners in the world. Uh, one of the best fielders out there. And, you know, definitely at wide domestic level, he was one of our best batsmen in T20 cricket as well. Like, I guess at the international level, we had such a strong side that he didn't really get much opportunity with the bat. But that's not to say that he wasn't a very good batter. So, I saw something... Uh, yesterday I was looking at a little bit on him didn't he have to make a bit of a decision wasn't he a good fussy player as well when he was a bit younger Brendan was yeah him well Brendan had to choose oh you're talking about soccer yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh fussy come on lad <laughs> yeah, no I know Nathan was very good at soccer um, and then Brendan was very very good at rugby he I don't know whether it's true or not but the, the rumour is he kept Dan Carter out of 10 in their school side that wow. is online somewhere I've seen that yeah that's a good start yeah, not, not, too, not too bad, that. Uh, we're going to move on to the keeper in this team, and we talked about characters before. You've got Jack Russell. Oh, he's definitely a character. <laughs> um, I, I never got blindfolded and driven to his house, but that's how uh, anyone who visited him at Gloucester had to uh, visit him. <laughs> but no one, like, he was the best keeper I ever saw. Like, if you watch some of the clips of James Foster... Phenomenal, he is amazing. But Jack Russell, wow. Um, he And he had an amazing knack of getting under the batsman's skin. So he just, like he would tell you to throw the ball back to him and he'd catch it while he was standing where the batsman wanted to stand. And then he just, <laughs> and then he just, he just got under their skin, they hated him. And he would say, in that team, he would stand up to every bowler except probably Binger on a bouncy wicket. He actually said that to me when, we, when I got there. He goes, but... I don't really care how fast you bowl. I'm going to stand up to you. And I was like, well, okay, cool. I don't care. And then um, we played Hampshire, actually, in a four-day match. And uh, I got my tail up against Nick Pothis. Him and I had a few words. And in the 79th over, I bounced Nick Pothis. And Jack Russell jumped to catch the ball. And it blew through his gloves and broke it. And he was devastated. It meant he had to go and patch up his favourite pair of keeping gloves ever. But it was quite cool. You know, he actually came and acknowledged. He's like, you know, that's one of the quickest spells I've ever kept to. And it was quite cool. A guy like him who's seen it. He's played a lot of cricket. Yeah, he's 
obviously incredible and noticed last week obviously sat on social media while we're not doing much a lot of videos were going around just out the blue about his keeping i don't know if it was a birthday or something like that but there was a lot on twitter some of the leg side takes stood up. yeah in- incredible but i just got to ask you there what, what about blindfolding he blindfolded people to drive them to his house yeah he didn't want anyone to know where he lived so no one in the cricket <laughs> club knew where he lived <laughs> That is a cracker. I've got nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, so number 10, mate, got Brett Lee. Yeah, I got pretty lucky that I managed to sneak him into our team. Like, he only played one game for Otago. We had already qualified for, well, sorry, we knew if we won our domestic comp that we would qualify for Champions League in India, and we just needed that extra player in a squad of 14 to take over there. Yeah. Um, so Brett agreed to come and play one game for us, and amazing bloke. Just turned up, was, a, was the consummate pro for our youngsters. Um, but I'm pretty glad that I can slot him into this team because to me, if you've got express pace at the top and in the last two overs of a T20 game, that changes things. Like, yeah. there's a lot of good tail end batters out there who can be handy, probably like me, <laughs> except when someone like him is bowling. Um, like, <laughs> it's tough work if you've got to come out and try and hit from ball one against someone bowling 150, 160. So, yeah, he's an easy pick for me. You talk about express pace then, obviously yourself doing the same. Who was the quickest you sort of came up against? Well, I guess a lot of my innings when I first started playing, so I hadn't played much domestic cricket, hadn't faced anyone quick really at domestic cricket, and then all of a sudden I reckon out of my first 10 innings, I probably faced show of eight of them, and oh. like, he was too quick for me. Uh, I actually remember in Lahore, in Pakistan, he got five or six for 10 against us in a one day. And I was batting 11 and I just kept looking up at the scoreboard and like it would be like Andre Adams bowled 159k, Brooke Wilson bowled 159k. And I was going, what, are they, what am I going to do here? Um, and the irony of it was I actually went in at the end of an over. So I had to face Wazzy Makram at the other end, who's to me one of the greatest of all time. And it felt like an offspin was bowling to me. <laughs> Funny you say that. Like, you just can't compare it. Like 160 Ks compared to like, I don't know, Wazim was probably still bowling 138, but it's just such a difference. Yeah, I remember we had a pro at Liverpool when I was a young lad there, open about for India, Shiv Sunder Das. Now, Shiv had this thing about it doesn't matter who the bowler is, he'd say they were slow. So you'd be like, you know, what's it like facing Harmison? He's like, easy. You can see the ball out of his hand. It was like, flint off, bowls too loose. Someone went, what about shower back down? He went, don't know, I didn't fucking see it. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only fellow he ever said it about. <laughs> I think Shaw, if he ever meets me again, he'll be real happy to see me because I've contributed a lot of wickets to his telly. <laughs> <laughs> he said for the first few balls, he just kind of got in line, it flew past him and he heard it hit the keeper's gloves and that was that. <laughs> actually, we, we played, um, that game I got the sick for actually, John Bracewood said to us before the test that, you know, I'm sick of show bullying us. You know, we're going to go and bully him. And everyone's like, oh, okay then. <laughs> and uh, he goes, Butts, you're going to bounce him. And I've just gone, <laughs> And then Craig McMillan, who actually was a really competitive bloke, like he didn't back down to anyone. He goes, yeah, I'll sledge him. So show comes back. Um, Craig McMillan goes into League Gully and just started sledging him furiously. So I've run in, bowled two bounces in a row at him, and the next ball pitched up, and he didn't really move, put poles everywhere. But the worst part about this was then when I had to come in and bat, 
Chubb met me at the boundary and walked me in. Uh, he's telling me he's going to kill me, to which I said, I have no doubt that you will. Uh, but you sort of know as a bowler that, you know, he's going to do all that talk and then he's going to probably try and hit your stumps. So the first ball he bowled to me, I just didn't have any back lift at all. And I blocked it, like literally blocked it. And it just pissed off through mid-wicket for four. And Daryl Tuppy was batting at the other end and going, what are you doing? <laughs> and then I actually remember looking back before he ran in for the second ball and thinking, Moen Khan is about 39 metres back here as a keeper. <laughs> and bouncer off the glove, Moen Khan's jumped, caught it, and I was like, ugh. <laughs> See you later, guys. Go and get safe. Oh, thanks. I'm really glad we bullied show up, guys. <laughs> Oh, dear. We've got we got one more in the T20 team as well. Just before we move on, and that's uh, number eleven, Harry Gainey. Yeah, it was actually. I was sort of thinking, like, to me, if you're trying to pick your best team ever, you want to cover all bases. And I was like, who who do I want to, if the game's on the line to bowl death for me? And like, here's my instant thought: like, he was the best death bowler I ever played with. With the new ball, he was actually quite surprisingly quick. He had really weird action. Yeah. Um, but at the death, like. I was, it was almost surprising when he missed his Yorker. He was that good. Yeah. And he had such a variety of slower balls that no one could pick him. Yeah, he was an easy pick for me at, at the day. And definitely batting 11. He is uh, number 11, isn't he? <laughs> I don't even... I think we'd declare if he was going to bat. <laughs> um, Butts, can you pick a captain from this team? Um, Tim Descartes. Yeah, good job. Yeah, I've got a question to put you on the spot here, mate. Um, those two teams, both great teams. What's got the better dressing room? Which dressing room would you rather be in there? Some <laughs> um, um, characters in both there. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's right. If I was picking a dressing room 11, neither of them would probably be it. I mean, I guess because they're all such high achievers, they're all very, very focused in the change room. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. That test 11, that would be a pretty quiet change room, that's for sure. All right, okay. okay. Not of, there's not a lot of jokers in that team. Maybe Brendan. Brendan has a bit of a joke. Andre, Bondi. Yeah, the rest of them are pretty serious. I think the. I'd probably go with the white ball team. They're sure. pretty. Like Chris Harris is an absolute character. Jesse would light it up. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say Jesse Ryder must keep it interesting at times. Thoughts <laughs> <laughs> um, before we let you go, a couple of questions for you. Um, what was your favourite ground to play at? Um, it's not a cliche, but to me it was Lords. Like <laughs> yeah. just from a Kiwi perspective, that was just such an amazing feeling to play at Lords. I think I only made play there three or four times, but every time I was there, I just absolutely loved it. Like the change rooms are amazing. Walking down through the long room. And to be honest, it actually helped my bowling a lot. Um, if I bowled down the slope, um, obviously it helped bowl to lefties and I already sort of jagged it in. But from the other end, it actually helped me take the ball away. Every every batter who faced me probably expected the ball to come in and all of a sudden I was taking it away from them and it was a bit of a surprise. Um, but I guess there are so many nice grounds out there. Queenstown's pretty um, yeah. rare. People wouldn't know that you know when you play at Queenstown, you're looking at the remarkables and it's... Even in summer, it still has a bit of snow on the top. It's an incredible venue. Yeah, I've seen photos of that. Um, every cricketer's most important question. This one you're not allowed, Lords. And that's best tees. Do I have to say Northern? 
<laughs> what? Yeah, they were, they were all right back in the day, weren't they? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. We had enough for four people at that stage of my career. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's the best sledger you came across who gave you a bit of stick apart from uh, Shoeb? To be honest, the, the guy that I probably had the most banter with on the cricket field was probably James Marshall. <laughs> was it? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we, had a, uh, we had an interesting uh, relationship on the field when we played against each other. <clears throat> okay. Um, last I just loved getting him out. And I got quite lucky because I was quite a competitive bloke and every time I, I played him after I left Northern Districts, I just ended up getting him out. And then it got to the stage where both teams started laughing about it. So, like, he'd walk out to bat and my captain would go, <laughs> you're bottom. And then a whole other would laugh and then I'd get him out again and... I think it got to. I think I got him out like eight out of nine innings. I think in a row. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, mate, favourite roommate. Oh, could you have warned me on that one? <laughs> <laughs> you can have one. You can have one from your uh, four day team, and you can have one from your twenty twenty team. Oh, I got to pick one of those guys. No, okay. no, I reckon pick from yeah, pick I from outside. Okay, I got two actually. Daryl Tuffy. Yeah, one of my with them throughout my whole career. Great roomie, and then my number equal one would be Aaron Redmond. Yeah, okay. good shout, good shout. Uh, I think yeah, absolutely fascinating insight there, and, and two two great teams, and great to have uh, our first Kiwi representative in it, Steve. Yeah, brilliant, good time, all mate. Good to see back on as well. Thanks for coming on, mate. Much appreciated. No worries, guys. Yeah, th- thanks so much for, for, for coming on, mate. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Check out the website, academynorth.co.uk. Uh, keep an eye on the social media, obviously, on the podcast and for coaching opportunities. Thanks for joining us, Ian, and cheers, Steve. Cheers, guys. Take care. See you soon.